0: Are you serious?
1: Yes. <laughs> this is a serious I question. Like, I had
0: to compose myself.
1: <laughs> it's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 74 the Seattle Seahawks edition of the podcast. Normally, I select a player with the jersey number corresponding with the episode number. But as I've mentioned before, it's becoming increasingly difficult as the numbers get higher Why Seahawks for 74? Though they played their first game in 1976, they were awarded a franchise two years earlier in 1974. Their first 27 seasons yielded just five playoff appearances, and for much of that time, they were a perennial average 8-8, 7-9, 9-7 type team. I got into the squad in the late 90s and picked them because no one else liked them. I didn't want to just jump on a bandwagon of a great team. I also recognized new head coach Mike Holmgren for when I saw him in my first Super Bowl when he coached Green Bay. I also was a Supersonics fan because I wanted them to beat the Bulls and Michael Jordan in the NBA Finals because I've always been an underdog guy. The first few years, I could only listen to their games on the radio and maybe a couple games on TV a season. I predicted three years before they made that first Super Bowl in 2006 that they'd make it there, and my buddies mocked me at the time. It made me so much more determined to want to see them win. And since that first year of college in 2004, when I could get the NFL package and see the games on TV, I haven't missed a single contest not even the preseason. Sure enough, they made the Super Bowl that year against the Steelers that I predicted, brag, but then they got robbed by brutal officiating. A true diehard Seahawks fan can't stand referee Bill Levy for botching calls in that game. That's how you determine if they're a real or a fair-weather Johnny-come-lately fan. If you mention Bill Levy and they don't know who he is and don't have disdain for his officiating crew that night, they're a fraud. Funnily enough, my next guest has also suffered a crushing playoff loss at the hands of my Seahawks. That occurred when Tony Romo bobbled the ball by the goal line on a potential field goal, which would have won a game for the Cowboys in their wildcard loss to Seattle. Oh, it is fumbled by Romo, and then Romo's going to run to the end zone, and he's going to get tackled by Jordan Babineau. Amazing. Unbelievable! Now our squads are on opposite ends of the spectrum of Dallas on fire and Seattle sinking without Russell Wilson. We undoubtedly will discuss our teams and other hot topics. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, and now welcome on my good friend George Nassios, who I've worked with for well over a decade. He's a huge Cowboys fan, along with a dumpster fire, that is the Maple Leafs. So we'll (laughs) surely get into those squads. He's also a diehard Atlanta Braves fan, which dovetails nicely with them being in the World Series. Welcome to the H-Dog pod, George. Thanks,
0: Golf Town, been a while. Is it okay to go- call you Golf Town, or should I call you Mikey or Mike, or like, what should, what should I call you on this thing?
1: That's well, funny, yeah, the Golf Town one, I mean, uh, usually, uh, pretty much you are one of the last ones to say uh, the Golf Town nickname, most of the last time it's- Last a dying
0: breed, huh?
1: Yeah, usually it's uh, the H-Dog, uh, oh, sorry, uh, Hound Dog, uh, most of the time.
0: H-Dog uh... pod, I got you. okay, <laughs> I'll, mi- I'll mix it in, I'll mix it up, I'll sprinkle uh, little nicknames here and there.
1: What inspired you to call me that nickname, by the way?
0: um well uh, i was on uh, at tsn um i started off after being an intern and doing uh, an archivist for a bit uh i was an editorial assistant so one of the guys that watches the games or events and does highlight packs on the row and uh for everybody that doesn't know the story i guess you've never told the story before and uh you were an intern so very raw and uh but chatted uh, with you a few times you know leafs fan i uh, liked your football i'm like good guy and then uh discovered you loved golf and uh for everybody out there i don't like that was out of like the fairly big sports i do not know i know very little about golf i have very little interest in golf can't watch a a full day of golf can hardly watch like the last three holes of a major (laughs) just doesn't interest me and uh, I got signed. I think it was the tour championship. Didn't Stephen Ames win? Was it 05, I think? Yeah,
1: the 2006 Players Championship at Sawgrass. Yeah.
0: 2006 TPC, sorry. And Stephen Ames won, right?
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Canadian.
0: So uh, um, I think I did it a couple days and I'm like, hey, man, what are you doing? Because you were an intern and you're like, yeah, just like watching these feeds. I'm like, well, I'm going to tell the producer that like, I want you to subclip and help for me. Is that cool with you? I'm doing the TPC, and you're like, yeah, absolutely. Like you were into it. And then for something that was, you know, like a third block, like third segment item, it became bigger and bigger because Stephen Ames with it to a point where I think it like might've led the show or been near the top of the show. And I was like, I remember it was a Sunday, the final round, I got assigned it again. And I was like, I'm like <laughs> damn, I'm getting this again, and I'm like, "Golf Town, you are with me." And it was a Sunday. I was young, new to the road, 24, very hungover from the, the Saturday night before, <laughs> as a lot of people were in those days when you got assigned sign the Sunday 12 to 8. I, you're like, I'm not letting this ruin my Saturday night. So there, and like I, asked, and like you helped me a ton. The pack was incredible. Everybody was telling me how good it was. The producer, Sophie Cullius, came up to me after. And she's like, you did an amazing job on that highlight pack. And I'm like, well, honestly, this intern, Michael Harrison, he, he helped me a ton. Like, I, I actually honestly couldn't do it without him. She's like, I, And she came up to me. She's like, I know. That was nice of you to say, but I know you didn't. And I'm like, actually, in my head, I'm like, I would have been so screwed without this guy helping me. <laughs> and then I'm like, from now on, bro. Your nickname's Golf Town. That's when the <laughs> Golf Town stores were hot, all your merchandise, and You're like, yeah, yeah, sounds good to me. So I kind of just took off from there. And then when I was producing or highlight manager and would assign stuff, I wouldn't put your name. I put Golf Town as the assignment. So caught on with a lot of people. But over 15 years, like you said, I think it's died down. And you have your uh, hound dog and H-dog nickname that uh, really took over anyway. So that's the, that's the story of uh, – Golf Town. Hopefully,
1: it wasn't uh, too long. No, no, I love it. That was uh, that was really great. Uh, and it's also funny that uh, I believe actually another uh, or not necessarily nickname, but instance of what uh, in the newsroom was when I try to eat five baconators. And uh, Jennifer Hedger is the only one ho- oh, the host man. of TSN. She's the only one that calls me. She won't even call me. I, I see her maybe once every two years or something. And whenever I see her, she's always like, "Hey, baconator." So she's the only <laughs> one that actually calls me baconator. That was incredible. The best part about that Baconator situation
0: was watching, like, the fact that, like, it was recorded. And when you, I think you were on your fourth one, I'll never forget. You took a bite of it, and you were chewing, and then you took a sip of your soda, Mm -hmm. and then you put your soda down, and you didn't take another bite. But when you put your soda down, you were still chewing. You could not get the food down.
1: It was the most uh, vile thing. Like just looking at those those burgers. uh, Yeah, finished uh, three and three quarters, I believe. And yeah, the 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 deal was I have to eat all five, and Jay and Dan uh, would sponsor me and buy them for me. But if I didn't finish all five, then I had to pay for them myself. I think they eventually paid for them because they were just they felt so bad, but. Man, it was, yeah, those two cars, uh, oh looking my. back on those that though, pops. that's
0: not really a good deal that's, for you, man. <laughs> no,
1: no. I didn't eat for the next like 36 hours. I don't, I don't, I wasn't hungry at all for the, a long time. No surprise after all those calories. Yeah, I think uh, we were,
0: like, we were, like, totaling up the amount of beef you ate, like, (laughs) bricks of cheese you ate, the amount, like, a loaf of bread it came out to, like, it was pretty ridiculous.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah, those are good times Uh, in the newsroom uh, back in the day, and, uh, yeah, like I said, those those two pops, those two uh, Cokes, they really did me in. If I just had water, perhaps I could have done it, but... Uh, at this stage, I, pro- I think I've retired trying to uh, have the all those bacon ears. It's probably not a great thing for me to have all that stuff. So <laughs> that,
0: that, that was something. That was something to behold. That's for sure.
1: Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, I guess uh, where to begin for the the um, you know the sports that are going on right now. I guess it's more fun to to rail on teams who are an absolute train wreck. Uh, so let's discuss the Maple Leafs first. What the hell is going on in Leafland? Full disclosure: We're starting. Uh, we're recording this on the Tuesday, the twenty sixth of October. Hopefully, by the time this episode comes out. They're a great team. They won a couple of games again, and all will be right in the world. But the start of the season, yikes.
0: I'll speak for myself personally. I am a massive, diehard, at times stupid Leaf fan on one of those guys. Um, so it's, it's really bad. I, I said after last year, um, that playoff loss to the Hads is the worst playoff loss I, I've experienced as a Leaf fan in my life and when i say that you know you got to discern it from the other losses it's not like i was i was of age i was uh, 11 years old when they lost to the kings in 93 when they were had two games when they were a win away from the stanley cup and that killed and that sucked but like the expectation wasn't there for that team i mean that montreal loss being up 3-1 and to like kind of fold the way they did Especially, you know, Game 5 and 6 weren't that bad. One of those games, the overtime, I think they pumped 10 shots at Carrie Price.
1: Game 6. They dominated that overtime in Game 6.
0: Montreal scored on their first shot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but that Game 7 was just lifeless, man. Yeah. Just lifeless. And I've seen that again this year. And for myself, like, personally, as a hardcore, this is the biggest level of fan apathy I've ever had as a Leaf fan since I started being really, really hardcore about the Leafs, like diehard. And I think a lot of fans are feeling the same way. Or I don't know, maybe it's just fans in my age group, but I think a lot of people are feeling the same way. And for this era of the Leafs, the Matthews-Marner era, that loss on Saturday, for me, was the worst loss for this regular season loss for this era of the Leafs. They lost 7-1 Yikes. to yep. a penguin team. Mm-hmm. Missing their first three set, their top three centers, arguably their best winger in Brian Rust, it's either Rust or Gensel, and their best defenseman in Chris Latang. Can you imagine the leagues playing against the Penguins without Matthews, without Tavares, without, I'm going to say, Spets is their third best center right now, without Morgan Riley, and without Mitch Marner, Marner or Nylander, because right now I think a lot of people think Nylander is better than Marner. Can you imagine them playing without all those guys? And Penguins have Crosby and Malkin and everybody going, and the Leafs win seven to one. Yeah, like there's no ch- that was just so embarrassing, man. And like I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to say about these guys. But the only thing on the positive I can say is, you know, things are always heightened and exaggerated at the start of the season because you see the record and everything. This happens from game 43 to 50. Hmm. It's not a big a deal, but things are always exaggerated. The highs and lows are always exaggerated at the start of the season. But the one good thing about the start of the season is I'm glad it's happening now at the start of the season, then between games 70 and 76 for sure. So that hopefully they can correct this stuff. But
1: I thought you were going to say that the the only positive thing about this is they're going to let us down earlier this year, as opposed to letting us down the first round. I thought that's where you're going with that, with that comment. But uh... I mean,
0: I'm not sure about a lot of the pickups, man, but I, I do think I don't think this team's going to miss the playoffs. I think they're, they're, they're still too good. There's still too much talent. There's too many guys playing way below how they played last year. Muzzin and Hall have been a train wreck. Like, I don't know what's going on. They're like they're a train wreck out there. And they were really good. Last. I don't think Jake Muzzin forgot how to play hockey. I think he's just having a rough time. TJ Brody hasn't performed anywhere near how he played last year um you know and the one thing that really concerns me that's been really bad for a while now is the power play
1: oh yeah just a horrendous really especially uh obviously the the sort of the player de jour that everyone just sort of rips on and usually it's uh, like last year in the regular season Mitch Marner was outstanding and it's been the last few playoffs that he's been bad he has been just horrendous the first few uh, several games here and it's hard because I've had a, I'm in a group chat with a bunch of Leaf buddies and they were ripping Marner the last couple of years. And I was like, yeah, but like, come on. Like, he was amazing. The regular season last year, like he's still a really good player. But with the playoffs and now this to start the year, it's like it's hard. It's getting harder and harder to uh, defend him now.
0: Yeah. You know, with Marner, I just think I think it's getting in his head. He's a young player. Um, I definitely think it's getting in his head. Look, he's uh, not through fault of any of his own any of us would try and get the most money possible. Mm -hmm. He's way overpaid. He's like, you know, uh, for the fact that he was an RFA, like he shouldn't have got even like on a six year deal, he should have got at least 2 million, maybe 3 million less than that. You know what I mean? But that's not his fault. You know, that's the GM's fault.
1: Well, yeah, that's Uh, the thing. That's what people were ripping him. Oh, he should have taken less money. Well, if someone's going to value you uh, at a certain amount of money and they're going to give you that amount of money, like, I, I've never, I can't really, I've never been in a position, spoiler alert, to make, be making millions and millions of dollars, so I can't comment fairly and accurately on how, like, if someone wants to give me 15 more million dollars, uh, you know what, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, I'm yeah. pretty sure I would say, yes, I want the extra money.
0: Yeah, for sure. All of us would. I think it's in his head now, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know, I think, uh, you know, he that with each game passing and him not producing on the score sheet i think it's getting more and more and i'm not sure what to do with him on that power play to be honest i i do think in my opinion i don't know maybe you give it a game or two more but i think you should change up the personnel Mm -hmm. between and balance more to me when i've watched the second unit has been better than the first unit And that's crazy looking at the names that are on the first unit. I mean, the second unit gets on there. Jason Spezza is just pumping shots at the net. net. Get the puck on the net. I also think you got to get, like, sorry, I love him, but Morgan Riley does not take – you have to have the threat. I've been saying this forever. You have to have the threat of a, like, hard slap shot one-timer for the point, and he does not do that. I think you put – sandin on the first unit you take marner off the first unit and you put i don't know maybe bunting on the first unit you put riley and marner on the second unit and you give it more balance and like you switch them after a minute and you see how it goes because i mean i don't know this isn't working this isn't hasn't been like when i talked about muzzin and hall and brody um and i think the scoring is going to come around too like i don't, i'm not an analytics guy but if you look at the analytics the Leafs should have scored way more goals than they have right now. I think Tavares has like 20 something shots on net and he has one goal this year. That's not going to be, that's not going to be the course for the rest of the season. Matthews one goal in four games. He could have had four goals in his first game back against the Rangers at all. These things are going to change, but the power play has been struggling mm-hmm. for probably between this year, the playoffs and the last 20, 30 games of last year for about half a season struggling like terribly and they better fix it because honestly a lot of what has to do with the power play has to do with coaching so they better wake up and fix that because i mean the names they have and the way that power play is going it's it's disgusting like i don't even want to watch when they get a power play yeah it's uh... like when you want to watch your team the most mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. we did with the least at the start the first 20 games of last season when they were going at like a 50% clip or something, it was something done like that. But now like, what is going on?
1: I remember thinking like, Oh my God, I've always got, you know, Marner Tavares Matthews, like a Nylander Riley. This power play is going to be ridiculously good. There's so much talent. And yeah, like you said, it's just not been uh, very good. I think, I know he's not necessarily obviously a goal scorer. He's uh, Marner's best when he, you know, sets up guys. But uh, I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he hasn't scored a score power play goal in like ninety games or something like that. Anyway, it's a long, long, long time. So
0: well, he, he didn't get a power play goal last year. That's for sure, and he <laughs> has obviously not this year. So um, yeah,
1: yeah. it's um, uh, ugly Leaf land. But hopefully they can figure it out. And you know, obviously you mentioned uh, the Habs being the, the, the Leafs last year. They started off a really even worse than Toronto this year. So yeah, you're you are right that it is early on. Before we uh, close up this hockey talk, though, I, I do actually want, I wonder about this. Uh, obviously you're a Leaf fan, when the Leafs were eliminated and Montreal was the last Canadian team, were you cheering for Montreal to win the Cup or no?
0: Is that a, are you serious?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you cut out there for a second. I'm like, huh? Is he there? Is he there? Oh well, This is a serious uh, question. Like, I had
0: to compose myself. <laughs> out of any, first of all, I used to cheer for Canadian teams before I started working at TSN, before I got in my early 20s. I used to cheer for every Canadian team. Mm -hmm. Then I saw when I started working there and there were people for all over the country and I saw the hate everybody had for the Leafs. And I'm like, what is this? I know like some Leaf fans are like way over the top. Even I'm over the top, but I'm not nearly as over the top as some. But like the hate for the Leafs. So I began to like despise Canadian teams more and more. And at the top of that list of the Canadian teams I despise is the Montreal Canadiens.
1: Thank you very much. So,
0: no, I was not cheering for Montreal. (laughs) I was cheering for my boy Stamko. And the Lightning to win their second consecutive cup. And I'm happy they did. And I'm happy for him that he actually got a chance to play and participate. Other than that one goal he scored against Dallas, I felt so bad for him the year before. And uh, I was really happy for him. And I'm a huge Stamkos fan. So definitely happy that they spanked the Habs in the final last year.
1: Now, that's the correct answer, uh, George, because unfortunately, you would be amazed at how many dumbass, at least in my estimation, uh, no, actually, and I'm also correcting this take, how many dumbass Leaf fans are like, oh, but they're a Canadian team, you gotta cheer for them, especially because they beat you when you were up 3-1, even more so. Why the hell a Montreal Canadiens fan would never cheer for the Leafs to win the Stanley cup ever. In fact, Canadians fans hate the Leafs more than they love their own team. So like, I just, it just blows my mind. That's why I asked the question. And I knew some
0: people subscribe to the theory. If Montreal won the cup, then we can say we lost to the best team in the NHL. But like, I'm not one of them. Or (laughs) like, you know, even when they, when you lose in a conference final or lose to a team in the first or second round and they go on to win the championship. Oh, well we lost to the best team in the league. Like, no, uh, no, not for me. Thanks.
1: Yeah, no, Montreal was actually a really bad regular season team too. If there was the normal standings, uh, structure, they wouldn't even have made the playoffs if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. So you're
0: right. A hundred percent.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, unfortunately there's too many Leaf fans who, uh, cheer for Montreal and it always disgusts me. So I'm glad, very much glad. I, and I knew I figured I that would be your answer. You too,
0: though? Can I ask you as yeah? a Leaf fan? Like I just told you how I feel as a Leaf fan. Like this is like, I've watched this year. But, like, I don't know, it's the least I've been very uninterested. Like, not uninterested, but not nearly as excited as I've been in, in previous years. Like, how are you feeling about, like, the Leafs? Like, do you have the same level of apathy or are you still, like, totally into it like oh come on like it, it's killing you when they lose and you're super excited for each game like how do you feel i know you're a hardcore leash fan
1: well i know uh apathy apathy is the exact word i was thinking of so that's perfect they use that great word uh no uh, yeah just i think it's because you know, even if they were doing really really well right now it would be like you know what doesn't matter wake me up in the playoffs i think even that would be the feeling so yeah. the fact that they're losing now it's almost even more like well whatever like either wake me up in the playoffs or they won't make the playoffs you know what i mean so I think Mm -hmm. no matter what, they could have started the season 20-0 and it would still be like, doesn't matter, wait to the playoffs.
0: Here's one more crazy stat for you because we were talking about Marner not scoring on the power play in so many many games. So last year, out of like the top 50 scores in the NHL, top 50 point getters, he was the only one with zero power play goals.
1: Yeah, it's not so good, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, oh boy. Anyway, we can move beyond the Leafs now. But, <laughs> but you know what? You could uh, do man. you could do a four
0: hour podcast with me about the Leafs, Golf Town. <laughs> you know that?
1: Oh yeah, no, it's uh like I said, it you know maybe they're you know it's not so bad. They're getting this this bad stuff out of the way early, and then they'll bounce back from it. But uh, who knows? And speaking of teams okay. that hopefully need to bounce back, here great segue. Um, oh, man, the Seattle Seahawks, my team, uh, two and five. It's amazing. So they've played three straight uh, primetime games, Seattle. In all three games, Geno Smith was in at quarterback, had a chance with the ball in his hand with like a minute to play, two minutes to play, and he's lost all three games for the team.
0: He almost got sacked three times in a row on that last drive. <laughs> he just avoided a safety, yeah. which would have gave the Saints, well, the spread move, but it was four and a half at one point, would have made the Saints cover, but he just avoided a safety. I don't know how that happens. Like I know he's a backup, whatever protection like melted down. I, how does that happen? It was what was it fourth and twenty eight on the last play for the Seahawks.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh you know, clearly they they their the running game was awful in that game, but they just kept going back to it. Either a you hope eventually maybe the dam will break, but also b obviously they do not trust him at all cuz he had a great uh, touchdown early DK Metcalf a big 84 yard td yep. and didn't target him again to the fourth quarter it just like i'm not saying uh, you have to go for deep shots uh, with him but like i understand uh, you know they have their best cornerback against dk but yeah, it just seems a lot like
0: like more had good coverage on him but you're right you got to take your shots
1: but you also have to like find ways to like you know even if it's like a jet sweep or like a three air pass or something anything to get the ball in your playmaker's and, hands yep. Yeah, it, it it just defies logic. And this has been going on for years. This is not just this year. Even with Russell Wilson as a quarterback, it's like sometimes the offense can be just humming and clicking really, really well. And other times you're like, like, what are they even thinking? Like, it almost feels like a junior high school team. And I'm sure you can break down every single team like a Chiefs fan this year. Certainly it would go like, you know, with their offense not being and their defense being brutal, not 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 being what they are accustomed to. But it's like sometimes it's like, oh my god! And clearly, yeah, they didn't trust Geno at the end of that game, and then he screwed them with a, a couple of sacks. And uh, and uh, if you can believe it, there was a, a faction of uh, Seahawks fans on Twitter before he played his first game because he had a good uh, in, in, in relief against the Rams. He had a good little comeback there and almost won it for him. There were Seattle fans who were actually excited for Geno Smith over Russell Wilson. Could you believe that?
0: <sighs> What's wrong with people? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, it, <man. laughs> but look, Russell Wilson is a hands-down top five quarterback in the NFL. He has been for a few years now. Like, you know, in the hierarchy of quarterbacks, I think it's, as much as you struggle this year, Patrick Mahomes is number one with a bullet. Mm -hmm. I think Aaron Rodgers is number two. And then you have your opinions on your order. That's for, like, that's for me. I think that should be for most people. Like, those guys have done enough and keep on doing it i don't care what mahomes has done through six seven games his previous three years more than speak for themselves Mm -hmm. but in that three four five wherever you rank him, whoever you have russell william wilson definitely should be in there like russell wilson has proven himself time and time again whatever the start of his career their run heavy offense defense was amazing but over the last five years, Russell Wilson has more than proven he's a top five quarterback in the NFL. How Gino Smith instead of Rush, what's wrong with people? Do these yeah. people watch football games?
1: No, no, it's because I think uh, the reason I, I think anyway, in their twisted rationale, it was like, you know, uh, Russell Wilson might have been gone in the offseason and Gino played well for like that half there. And like you could can, can have him in there for so much less money and. And honestly I, honestly, I can't even really ex- explain what their reasoning as to why they thought that would be a good thing. Uh, and again, Gino hasn't been horrible. Like uh, As a backup, you're not expecting a guy to light the world on fire. But right. uh, yeah, I mean, the, the drop-off, especially because, unfortunately, their drafting for Seattle the last five years has not been anywhere, anywhere, anywhere remotely close to how good it was in the start of the uh, Pete Carroll-John Schneider era. So there was a year, I think it was three years ago, all of the touchdowns for Seattle, except for one... Were accounted by uh, from Russell Wilson. Everyone except for one was because of him. uh, When their their running backs were just atrocious, like Eddie Lacy, a couple of guys. I think that was three years ago. So yeah, uh, and uh, and of course a suspect offensive line, and like it's like it's just crazy to me that these fans are just like, oh, maybe it'll be fine without him. Are you kidding me? (laughs)
0: Like, no. Russell Wilson is a great, and he's proven it for like. Like early in his career, you know, people would say maybe he's a game manager. They have the running game, the defense. But the last five years, I mean, last year he had a lot of turnovers. That was like, like Mahomes is having this year. But Russell Wilson is a great quarterback. He can scramble to make room, like room for himself, get out of the pocket. He can run. You know what I mean? He He's like, I mean, he doesn't have the size, but he's proven that not to be the return in his career. To me, he's top five with a bullet.
1: Nah, no no doubt about that. And, and you, you uh, mentioned, Geno
0: Smith nah, is
1: not top five. Not quite so. top five. No, exactly. Uh, you mentioned the top five quarterbacks there. I'm curious to know where you would rank your Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott, on, the, on that list.
0: Um, You know, I, I don't know if he's top five. I think he's definitely top ten. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not talking about this season and I'm, I'm like, I'm like talking about, you know, looking at a guy's career and where they're at now. I'm not just looking at a season. This season, I think he's definitely an MVP candidate. I really hope his calf injury isn't bad and he plays against Minnesota because I don't think we have a shot in hell against them this week without him. Uh, but you know, Dak's in the MVP conversation this year. I think he's in the top 10, you know, I haven't gone through like my rankings, but I definitely think he's a top 10 quarterback. I don't think I could say he's top five right now. I think he's still got a bit more things to prove, but, uh, I love Dak. I love the fact he's the Cowboys quarterback, um, Cowboys fan, obviously here, like you said, um, I, I love everything about the guy, you know, he gets better and better every year and. He's what you want in your quarterback. He's a leader. Like, they will follow, the Cowboys players will follow him into the dungeons of hell because he'll get them out. You know what I mean? I think that's what they feel about him. And that's what I, I love it when the Cowboys are down a few points and there's two minutes or less than two minutes left and Dak's got the ball. Like, I'm ready for it. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because I I think he's going to lead us to victory every time
1: which and, is obviously the exact opposite of feeling of Geno Smith. So yeah, you have to pay your yeah. quarterbacks and obviously ideal world. You're not paying your quarterbacks oodles and oodles of money, but when you have one, it's so hard to find one. So I assume you were happy when they, uh, when they re-signed him. Yeah.
0: I I, 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 mean, I wish they, I wish they didn't have to pay him that much and had more room for the cap. But Hey, if you got a quarterback, that's a top 10 quarterback pay him because they don't grow on trees. Cause it's like, I've experienced years with the Cowboys where we were cycling through vets who didn't have it anymore or like youngsters who hadn't proven themselves. And it's like, Oh man, or our number one guy being injured and we're throwing in these guys in there that it's just like, couldn't even watch even last year. I mean, that got injured. Then Dalton, who's more than a capable backup went down and man, the guys Ben DiNucci and Garrett Gilbert, I mean, God bless them, but Jesus, it was difficult to watch, man. It was difficult to watch. So when you got a top 10 quarterback, I mean, we all know the most important position in the NFL is quarterback. So if you got a good one, you better hold on to him and pay him and not, not gamble in the draft with guys like you just don't know. When you go to the draft, you think guys are like amazing. I mean, you just don't know
1: half the time they don't pan out, you know, uh, certainly with quarterbacks, uh, definitely in the first round at least. And obviously you might be able to find a gem later in the draft, but it's, it's really a, pretty much hey, exactly we found a a the gem coin.
0: later in the draft are both our teams did? Yeah. I think Russell Wilson was a third round pick and Dak was a fourth round pick. Mm-hmm. So we found gems in the draft and like, when you get them, you better keep them because unless you're replacing them with a proven guy, who's like also a stud, like, What are you doing? Like, look at the difference in the Rams. Look at the Mm. difference in the Rams now that they have Matthew Stafford instead of Carson Wentz, who's not a bad quarterback. Sorry, not Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, who to me is not a bad quarterback. But the difference between a guy who is a really good quarterback and a guy who's just an average to good quarterback, it's the difference between going far in the playoffs or going to the playoffs and not. So... I love the fact we got Dak. Yeah, I would, do I wish we paid him a little less? Yeah, you wish you would played all your great players a little less. But that's not the guy I'm taking money away from. There's other guys you take money away from before you take it away from him.
1: Well, that's the thing. Like with, We were talking about the Mitch Marner thing earlier about, you know, if a team's going to give you all this money, like, yeah, of course, in theory, it'd be nice if they were uh, were to take less. But it's like, I also want my cake as well, especially coming off a, a an injury that he had last year. It's
0: good. People were saying a lot of things. They took care of him, too. I mean... There, there's a risk. There was a risk there and there still is a risk, I think, within, when a guy has an injury like that. I mean, so far, so great with how he's looked, but they took care of him too. And people were ripping the Jones family before because they weren't paying him and like whatever. And Dak even said after the injury, like one of the things Jones said with him, he's like, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Just worry about getting better. Don't worry about your contract in the future. We're going to get it done and you're going to be taken care of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I've had uh, debates with uh, fellow Greeks and uh, Spiros Kostas uh, and Chris Karadakis, all Cowboy fans, my buddies from back home. Uh, and Iron Pryor. Uh, yeah, back in Iron Pryor. and they Arnbrier just
0: Iron Pryor <laughs> Avalanche.
1: <laughs> Actually, the, the, the team name back in the day uh, it, was, it was a canceled team name. You can't you can't say it anymore? So they got rid of that team name. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, um, but no, yeah, I've had debates with them about the Cowboys, and I love Dak Prescott. Uh, I, I saw him uh, in the preseason against Seattle years ago when Tony Romo got injured. And I'm like, this kid looks like really, really good. Like they, they should play, uh, sort of play him. So, and uh, yeah, uh, like we were talking about, of course, in an ideal world, you can have a quarterback on this rookie deal, do the four years, five years, and then move on to another quarterback. That'd be amazing. But uh, they're not such huge fans of Dak. And I keep trying to prove to them, like, Dak's an awesome quarterback.
0: He's, uh, he's honestly, he's everything. I want my team's quarterback to be at this point how much how much he's played in the career. I couldn't ask for anything more out of Dak Prescott.
1: No so, doubt, no I doubt. I love
0: the fact that he's the Cowboys quarterback. I love the fact that like he's a leader of men, too. like those guys will fall. You need that I think in a quarterback. So, I I love the way he plays and I love the fact that he's a leader. Love everything about the guy. I got nothing bad to say about Dak Prescott.
1: No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, he's been uh, outstanding for sure. Now, uh, now there 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 is, uh, in my opinion, some potential legit, legitimate beef with Cowboy fans with the coach uh, Mike McCarthy. Uh, I understand you're probably most likely not a fan of him, like most Cowboys. I'm fans? not a
0: fan. I am not a fan. Um, I saw him make decisions last year that basically single handedly cost us games. Um, I think uh, Kellen Moore, like tell Moore and Dan Quinn are like taking like almost all the responsibility for the play calls on defense and offense this year that I like, but the guys just lost sometimes. Like, I think there are some great coaches in the NFL that are on top of everything. And McCarthy's not one of them. I don't know if he is, he, is he a leader of men in the dressing room, whatever. Yeah. He won a super bowl, but he won one super bowl with Aaron Rodgers too. Like, I think you could have won more with a guy that's like, to me, top 10 for sure. To me, probably top five quarterback of all time. Um, I just, the decisions he makes blows my mind and he's lost. Like he's lost sometimes. Like there was a situation a few weeks ago where we should have called a timeout late in the game and he didn't call a timeout. And he said he couldn't see the time on the scoreboard and Kellen Moore couldn't see the time. And he was just lying and lying in the post game. And he was just digging himself a hole deeper and deeper. I'm like, what are you, an eight-year-old kid that didn't do your homework? <laughs> like, but you know, I've seen a year of him, so I already have a bad taste in my mouth from him from last year. So this year, you know, when he does bad things, it like you know they're bigger to me than when he does like right things. So I'm not, I'm not a fan of McCarthy.
1: <laughs> the, the things with, uh, you know, obviously you say you only won the one title with Green Bay, but that's um, you know, now without uh, McCarthy. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has gone back to the NFC title game two straight years with Matt Lafleur, and he's also lost both of those. So it's all almost like people think like I think people view uh, Super Bowl titles in the prism of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady in New England. It's really hard to win chips. Like Sean Payton's only won one Super Bowl. The Saints were like seven and nine for three straight years there, but he's considered a genius. Andy Reid was ripped in Philadelphia and even in Kansas City for a long time for his horrible clock management. Pete Carroll, I love uh, the fact that he's uh, instilled a great program in Seattle, but he has blind spots and where he doesn't get aggressive, and it's like, what are you doing? Like He's really bad burning timeouts. Even the greatest coaches have uh, their flaws, I guess, and McCarthy definitely has flaws, no no doubt about it. I've seen some at the end of those Dallas games, and I'm like, what are you doing taking a timeout that early or that type of thing? So I guess the question would be, obviously, in-game situationally, yes, McCarthy has done some really dumb things, just like Pete Carroll, just like Andy Reid. Would you rather a coach that... If they keep going like this with McCarthy, who instills a program like he did in Green Bay for 10 years. And actually every year, you know, you're in the playoffs, you're pretty much going to win your division most of the time. Now, it's a, he might not do that in Dallas. We'll have to wait and see. But if he does do that, would you rather like have a coach where, you know, you're going to win like 11, 12 games every year, maybe have a chance to win or a coach that might be a bit more flashy, but, uh, you know, uh, and maybe better situationally, but, I don't know. I, I think I'd almost rather have the coach that for sure would get me to the playoffs every single time and might be a little bit weaker in the uh, finer aspects of the game.
0: Uh, I want both.
1: What I mean, perfect world. That? Perfect world, but like Hall of Fame coaches, like I Andy there are
0: those coaches in the NFL. Like, you know, I think there are some great coaches and like sometimes you give guys a shot or like, like to me, Sean McVay is an incredible coach. You know what I mean? Um, I think Mike Rabel is a really good coach. And as a coach, you know, you got to... I think this year, uh, I think he's ceding more responsibility to Kellen Moore for the offense. Um, Look, last year, like, last year with the injuries, whatever, but at the start of the year, I saw him single-handedly costing the games. I can't remember some of the fourth-and-go-like decisions or, like, the play calls he made to go for it on fourth or not to go for it and kick a field. I can't remember it now because it was last season. But he did, his decisions actually cost us games. And this year I've seen him making mistakes that you shouldn't make as a head coach. And he, but you're right, he has had success. And no coach is going to win Super Bowls every year. But I do think there are coaches out there that I'd rather have. You know, there was a rumor that Lincoln Riley was going to come to Dallas. And I'm not a huge, like, college football guy, but like, I would have liked to see see them take a chance on a guy like that. They did it in the 90s with Jimmy Johnson, Mm -hmm. and it worked out pretty well. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, he was the 90s version of, like, a Sean McVay or a John Gruden when he came in the NFL the first time. I know everybody hates John Gruden now, but the first time he came in the NFL, he was such an innovative, gung-ho coach, you know. That was Jimmy Johnson when he came in the NFL. That, to me, is Sean McVay right now. He's been here for three, four years, but I think – anybody that watches the NFL would think Sean McVay is a great coach. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yep. That's, that's what I want. And I don't see that with McCarthy, but,
1: but here's you know, the thing about McVay. And right, Vrabel.
0: Right. He has had success. Yeah. I but mean, can. and you can't win the Super Bowl every year and he has had co- consistent success.
1: And, and here's the thing with Vrabel and uh, McVay and, and obviously don't get me wrong. They are really good coaches. And I, and I like them both. And I, I hate that McVay's in the sales division because he, he is really good, but as of now, neither has won a Super Bowl. So at some point, say they go three, four, five more years here and they haven't won one, like, you know, there's the shine of this, this awesome coach. At some point, the hot seat's going to be like, hey, okay, why haven't we got over the hump yet? So it's really, I guess the point is, it's so freaking hard to win Super Bowls, unless your name is Tom Brady and previously Bill Belichick, that, I, I you know, Mike Tallman, obviously, I think is a really, really good coach in Pittsburgh. He's only won one Super Bowl. So it's like, it's uh, it's really, really freaking hard. So, uh yeah, yeah. Uh, McCarthy. Yeah. No question, he has his faults, as do a lot of the coaches. Even I think even uh, there's a faction of Pittsburgh Steeler fans that I was uh, reading on Twitter who aren't liking Tomlin as well. It's like when they uh, Pittsburgh had a really bad start to the year. It's like, man, come on, Mike Tomlin obviously is a really good coach, you know. But
0: I've, I've heard for years from Steelers fans that don't really think Tomlin's a good coach, but they think he's a great, like maybe amongst the best, if not the best in the NFL, like leader of men. Mm -hmm. But, like, situationally, you know, strategically, that he's not the best in-game coach. And that he's made decisions to cost him, too. So, it's interesting, you know. But you're always with your team, like, you're always, like, way deeper in it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, overall, a year and a half of McCarthy, I wish they would have gotten somebody else. And I think most Green Bay fans, I don't know your Green Bay friends that you've talked to, but most Green Bay fans, I talked to that are my friends didn't really like McCarthy either no nope. but I gave him a shot the first year and I wasn't impressed but you're right he has had a ton of if you, I don't know what his overall record is times in the playoffs versus times missed like you can't argue with his track record of success and it is ridiculously hard to win Super Bowls and he's got one so on that like I don't think that you're right I can't really argue that with you
1: let's talk about a little baseball uh, before I get you out of here. Cause I know obviously sure. you're a huge uh, Braves fan. Uh, sure, and uh, yeah. I always remember that were you um, uh, more of a Jays fan or a Braves? fan? I think it was Braves, right?
0: No, I was like, you know, like they played each other. First of all, when I was a kid, when I was 10 in the world series in 92, and I was cheering for the Jays at that point, I was a Braves fan too. So um, I don't know the history kind of is, I really liked Tom Glavin and Dave justice. And when I was, I was a kid, My family would drive down South to Myrtle beach. We went about three times starting when I was like nine years old. And back then there were no teams in Florida. There was no Tampa Bay Rays. There was no Florida Marlins. So everybody in the South was Braves fans. So, uh, you know, like we'd spend like 10 days, two weeks there. And like, I'd be getting into the Braves and they were really terrible. Like that first time, but like, Loved Glavin, loved Dave Justice and Ron Gant and like just got into them more and more. And then eventually they got one of my favorite former Jays, Freddie McGriff, who helped them to the only World Series title I've seen them win. So that's kind of like how I became a Braves fan. But uh, no, I was still I'm still more I was more of a Jays fan. And if they played each other in the World Series, I could never see myself cheering for the Braves over the Jays. But if they had played, if the Jays who I fell in love with all over again this year had made the playoffs and we're playing the Braves this year. I don't know if I'd be cheering for the Jays because I love Anthopolis Mm -hmm. and I was disgusted with the way they showed him the boot and the things that Shapiro, like, you know, sources say they said to him in their meeting when he took over as president. So, uh, I think this year, considering all the Canadian connections and Anthopolis is there and running the show, like I might be cheering for the Braves this year. And, Let's face I don't know if anybody's watched the baseball pre- playoffs. This Braves team is impossible not to love.
1: Well, especially with the, the uh, you know Acuña, Acuña and uh, Soroka are out, so it's like I think they were if I'm not mistaken early August they were like a below 500 team, so the the fact that they're in the World they Series were. now is, is absolutely a remarkable first time since
0: 1999. They were. And uh they're missing Acuña, who is arguably the best player in the le- in the National League. Like and their best player. They're missing Marcelo Zuna, who led the league in homers and RBIs last year. And they're missing Soroka, who would be their like number one starter. So everybody was talking about all the injuries the Dodgers and their $340 million payroll had. They had like almost double the payroll the Braves did. The Braves are missing a few guys too. So like for them to be where they are, and then for some people to say they only won 88 games, they shouldn't even be in the playoffs. Well, this team also won 100 games a ton of times in the 90s. And you know they had to play wild card playoffs. You know in the '90s and 2000s when you know why they when it was only before the division leaders. So the fact is you play the games when they're most important, and the team that's the best when it's most important wins the World Series, and they're winning the games now. So it's been awesome. Eddie Rosario was just that was unbelievable. That was an epic series he had against the Dodgers.
1: Uh, no doubt. Well, speaking of uh, coaches uh, or in this case managers. Uh, From the earlier from the '90s, there I loved Bobby Cox. But you can you can even that's another manager like a McCarthy or whatever. You can be like, man, so many great teams. They only won the one title. So it's like, do you fall on the on the side of like he's not a good manager because they went there all. They were always in the World Series or the NLCS. Like to me, from an outside perspective, like Bobby Cox was obviously awesome. But I guess because they only won the one chip, I guess a lot of Braves fans may not like him.
0: I, I loved Bobby Cox. I thought he was an awesome manager. He only won the one World Series um baseball obviously was uh much harder and let's not forget to like i don't remember much but i do remember a bit bit of him he was the jays manager too before he was the braves manager Mm -hmm. so and he managed them to their first uh playoff appearance which also they actually choked on they were up 3-1 against the royals in 85 and they lost that series in seven so you could say like big game big moments he wasn't but uh you know in baseball it's always been harder to even get there like you have to win your division until 95 um and you know he went to five world series i love bob bobby cox i thought some years there were years in the 2000s where they had no business even being in the playoffs and they win their division so um and watching the team i never really was like what is he doing what are you know like i loved them and uh one is better than none. I, I wish, and I think we should have had more world series titles, but one is better than none. And, uh, hopefully in my lifetime, they get uh, number two, um, you know, in the next, uh, 10 days or so.
1: Yeah. And obviously, uh, you're touching on Alex Anthopoulos, obviously former GM of the blue Jays now the GM of, of, of the Braves. And yeah, it's hard not to love him, but I touched on this a couple of the different podcasts that I've talked to about the blue Jays. Uh, you know, uh, this is episode 74 of the podcast now, brag. Um, the The thing with Anthopoulos was like in the whatever three four years with the Jays, he hadn't done a whole lot to make them really think that he was the guy necessarily. So that's when they it was so awkward the way it happened. That's when they brought in Shapiro to take over. Eventually, that's when Anthopoulos was like, "Oh, I might as well trade all my prospects to like win now." Understandably, if you're going to be on the on the way out, you might as well go for the guy. You know, go for the gusto. Then obviously, yeah, then then make the ALCS. Then it's the awkward transition. It sort of is almost like a weird, unfortunate transition because they, they really thought, okay, well, we're getting rid of him because he hasn't done much, and that's when they went for it to get all these great players like Tulewitzki and David Price and all that. And so I think it was just almost like a, just an unfortunate situation all around, and it's great to see him have success in, a, in uh, Atlanta.
0: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, we know the Jays aren't like unlimited payroll. I think there were years he was probably handcuffed for making moves. But, you know, they ripped him for trading all these prospects, And now we see this year, you know, to get Jose Barrios, like they traded Austin Martin, like they're trading, uh, you know, top prospects now too to go for it. That's what you do. And that year, that first year, I think it was 2015. They were, like I said about the Braves, it doesn't matter. They won 88 games. You got to play your best at the right time and be that team that's on fire when those moments happen. That year, the Jays didn't win the World Series. They were the best team in baseball. After they traded for David Price – they went like 50 and 10 in the rest, rest of the regular season. I mean, they lost that series to the Royals in six. couple bad things happened and changed the whole oh, series around. Yeah. They didn't win it. So they're not there. But they were to watch in that team, the way they played. They were unbelievable. Mm-hmm. They were unbelievable to me. And he went for it, and he gave them the best chance. And it didn't happen. Sometimes it doesn't happen. But, like, same thing that Shapiro and Atkins are doing this year trading Austin Martin, first-round pick. Everybody was so high on him, and I can't remember which which pitcher was in that deal. Uh, like, Simeon
1: Woods-Richardson.
0: Simeon Woods-Richardson. I didn't know if it was him or Kay. So, like, you're trading young prospects who could be g- good to great major leaguers in a few years. If That's you look thing. at all those guys that Anthopolis traded and all those trades, hardly any are, like, studs right now. Noah Syndergaard, bit of a stud, Injury issues now. Kendall Graveman, who's actually a reliever on the Astros now, is finally like kind of finding his niche after struggling as a starter. But you look at all those names of all the other guys. Show me. There might be thirteen guys. Show me the guys that are standing out.
1: I guess Travis Darno. Oh, why do we uh, trade him? Travis Darno. Darno, yeah.
0: Darno was in the Dickey trade. Yeah. Um. You know, like Darno's a legit number one catcher, like especially defensively. I hope he picks it up with the bat because he was great in the playoffs with the bat last year, but that's not his thing. But in the playoffs last year, he was hitting some huge, he had some huge hits. Um, but yeah, I don't know, but we got unbelievable players too to make those runs and have a chance at the World Series. But for if you look, the overwhelming majority, mm-hmm. those players are like either not in the major leagues, fringe major, major leaguers, a couple of guys who are playing and good, and maybe like one stud Possible if he comes back from injury in Syndergaard.
1: Well, you know I mean? especially even the <laughs> um, when they got Josh Donaldson, they traded Brett Laurie. I think his name was Franklin Barretto. Uh, Bar- Barretto, Barretto. I believe it was. It might have actually been yeah. the Kendall Graven. Act. Graven might have been in that deal, maybe. And one other player, and yeah, they all like haven't really been super great or whatever. And you can even look at to an opposite trade. But when you traded is, for
0: a guy that was the MVP of the league.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's been he was obviously amazing. And you could even say in the Roy Halladay deal when they traded him to to the Phillies they got back uh, Kyle Drabeck as a pitcher. He's supposed to maybe be a stud and he sort of washed out after a couple of years. So yeah, in baseball, always trade your prospects for like, if you think you're anyway, if you're getting have a legit chance. player.
0: Yeah. If you have a chance and you think you have a chance. And I mean, even if, I mean, the moves Anthopolis made this year, he traded for Eddie Rosario at the deadline after Acuna got hurt and it was out for the year. And like Ozuna, gone like he probably knew he was going to be uh, gone for the season a month before that like he traded for eddie rosario rosario was hurt he couldn't even play for the braves for another like two three weeks and he still made the deal and like without rosario there's no chance we're being with the dodgers even Duvall, even jorge soler who's probably going to dh uh in the american in the games in houston in this series like he made these moves he's made unbelievable moves. tyler Matzik. Oh my God. Game six out of the bullpen saved the game. Unbelievable. Four, two second and third. No outs. He strikes out the first three batters he faces when he comes in the game. This guy was pitching in some Texas league and like working at Burger King like three years ago. (laughs) He was uh, so far and look at him now. Like, you know, he's made so many great moves and, uh, you know, like I just, I really want it for him to, um, but I, You know, I'm really excited for the Braves. It's been a long time since they've been in the World Series. Um, You know, they've made the playoffs consistently. They had a little run there where they were rebuilding. And I'm excited for Freddie Freeman, who represents Canada through his parents, even though he was never born or lived there. And, yeah, it's, it's just a team that's easy to love, too, if you watch baseball, whether you're a fan or not. And the team that they're going against is not a team that's easy to love. It's a team that's easy to hate, so... Um, I'm excited. I'm excited for the World Series.
1: I was just going to say that about uh, yeah. The fact that speaking of teams, that <laughs> easy to love, the exact opposite. Houston Astros, uh, when they cheated obviously to win the World Series a couple of years ago. Like, did you absolutely hate the Astros, or were you sort of on the side of like pretty much every team cheats? They just got they just won the World Series, so that therefore they were sort of the ones that uh, you know everyone hated.
0: No, I think everybody cheats and everybody pushes uh, pushes the limit, but they took cheating to a next level with the technology they were using, um, you know, and uh, I'm not sure they were remorseful enough about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember watching Carlos Correa doing an interview about uh, Jose Altuve and the home run. We all know against the world is Chapman where he's like, don't rip off my Jersey. You see him pointing, don't rip off my Jersey. Cause they said they had buzzers attached to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, you know, that was because he had a tattoo And it's like Guys Like You know I, I just think that Astros Took it to another level I don't like Alex Bregman's face <laughs> You know I You know I don't like that face he, He's got the face of a jerk You know Correa's a great player And I like him But I think he's like I think he's too cocky And arrogant for me You know is a little scrapper guy That's easy to love But We all have that image of him saying Don't rip off my jersey The cheaters man Altuve
1: has just sent the Astros to the World Series.
0: The cheaters—they took the cheating to another level. Yeah, everybody's looking for an edge, and if you're not cheating, you're not trying. That's the old adage. But there's cheating to a certain extent, and they went even the major league players, you know, around the league were like ripping on them. So no, I don't respect them. Uh, You know, I hope. But they got a lot of good players, man. They got a little... I'm not sure about their pitching. Um, they have a lot of injuries with the staff and, like, a lot of young guys pitching for them. But, you know, they got a lot of good... They're infields. I mean, when you go, like, from third to first. You know, Bregman, Correa, Altuve, Gurriel. And then with Jordan Alvarez, who won, I think, the NLCS MVP as the DH. I mean, that is five hitters who are, like those are devastating hitters maybe not griel but he's still a really good hitter so it's a it's a scary lineup to face but uh you know we'll see i don't know about their pitching it's going to be it's going to be a good series you know what i mean but uh you know hopefully Whoever wins, wins it fair and square and doesn't have to cheat to win it.
1: Yeah, it would be something else if the Astros were to cheat again, thinking like a hiding in plain sight. Oh, no, there's no way people would think we would do it again. And if they were to do it again, that would be pretty wild. Yeah. And obviously, obviously, in that I, scenario. Like I said,
0: can't deny their ta- talent on some of their playoffs. That infield is spectacular. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like the team. It's not because they're playing the Braves. I just don't like them. I hate them. They were playing the Red Sox, and it's like, who would I cheer for? I can't stand both these teams.
1: hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think the Astros. Yeah, it's a tough one though. Yeah,
0: yeah. So well, I'll we'll get it. To, it should be a good one though.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully it's six or seven games, and uh, it's a great uh, series, no doubt about that. Well, I'll get you out well, of here for on me, this.
0: Hopefully, it's a four game sweep by the Braves, <laughs> but I could see as a neutral fan how you'd want that.
1: <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'll get you out of here on this, and I've reminded you of this a couple times over the years. Uh, that uh, do you remember what uh, when we first talked? Because just like with Dak Prescott uh, playing in the preseason when Romo got injured, I'm like, this Prescott kid's amazing. I remember also seeing Tony Romo in preseason against Seattle, thinking the same thing. And I was talking to him. I up.
0: do remember this.
1: And yes. remember that you remember your exact quote that you said to me when I said, "Yo, uh, George, man, this Tony Romo guy should be playing over uh, Bledsoe."
0: Uh, what I said, I like, he should open a pizzeria and call it Romo's Pizza. There's no way that guy should be playing over Bledsoe. He
1: should, he, this guy should be flipping pizzas in Italy somewhere. Yeah, that was the yeah. uh, that was. The you quote. know, the
0: funny thing <laughs> is, I just did that off his last name, and he's not even Italian. His dad, his dad's Mexican. And uh, his mom, I think, is just, uh, you know, I don't know, British descent, uh, white. But his dad was actually Mexican. He might have been Mexican of Italian descent, but I always thought he was Italian. But you know what's funny about that? Romo is, uh, it's so funny because I grew up with those, I watched those 90s Cowboys team. Tony Romo is my favorite Cowboys player ever.
1: Yeah, he's a, absolutely he's my favorite player stunning.
0: ever. The people that rip on Romo, you ask any Cowboys fan that knows anything like that, watched them consistently, they all love Tony Roma. And you know what else he was? He's one of the toughest SOBs I ever saw on the football field. That guy wanted to play when he broke his back. I remember he had broken ribs and a punctured lung. One regular season game against the 49ers. He got hurt in the game. He came back. Whoever they had the lead gave the league away with him out. He came back. They tied the game. They went to overtime, and he threw a 65-yard pass to a guy that made the team out of, like, a Michael Irvin show making the team, a wide receiver, Jesse Hawley, and got them down to the one. He got tackled at the one-yard line. wasn't a touchdown, and they scored on a game-running. And then it came out. He had broken ribs and a punctured lung. People don't move. They don't move for weeks when they have. And this guy came back and played through that. Just an unbelievable quarterback, man. And just we had some terrible defenses. I think one year with him, we went eight and eight. We had one of the worst defenses, top five worst defense in the history of the league. And people were blaming Romo for us not making the playoffs.
1: Yeah, you know no, that, uh, I, he's amazing. He my I favorite
0: him. Cowboy player ever, and I watched this team win three Super Bowls. And I love that guy, man. If there's one. He's kind of the last as you get older, you don't have the same affinity to athletes. If there was a guy I could meet that like an athlete like that, he would be my top top. Like he might be number one on my list of guys if I could just sit down and have dinner with. And he's an amazing guy. And he's the best commentator in the NFL, too. Now, just a wicked dude.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I remember uh, having debates with the other Cowboys. You did fans. call that
0: though. You did call that. I'll give you that.
1: <laughs> yeah, both those quarterbacks. It's just funny. It's like you no, know, you just see something in them, and it's like I know it's only the preseason at the time, but it's like you no, know, it, it's uh, there's just some some uh, you know will to win that's there with those guys, and uh, no, I, I've always loved Romo as well.
0: Yeah, and, undrafted uh, Romo, undrafted yeah. Eastern Illinois,
1: incredible, unbelievable
0: career, man. Too bad about some of the injuries and the way it ended, and the Green Bay game where. It's that's made that catch that should have mm-hmm. been a catch mm-hmm. but uh you know i wish he went to won a super bowl because his uh his a football life killed me i don't know if you've seen that
1: yep i did oh yeah. man outstanding
0: Christ, love that guy man such a great such a great player such a great guy
1: absolutely well uh i could say the same for you and uh thank you for the uh, broadcast uh this has been a blast it's been awesome catching up and uh great stuff
0: yeah thanks for having me on man it was awesome hound dog hopefully we can do it again
1: that was a blast chatting with my friend and colleague George Nasios. Some fun stories were told about my start at TSN, with how much I helped him doing the highlight pack for Stephen Ames' historic golf win at the Players' Championship. Of course, the epic tale about the time I tried to eat five Wendy's Bacon in one sitting just gets better and better as the years go by. And as much as it's miserable to talk about the sad state of affairs of my teams, I really enjoyed the discussion centering around Mitch Murner and the Leafs dumpster fire, and I'm so, so thrilled that he wasn't one of these clownly fans who cheer for the Habs in the playoffs. Also fun to talk to him about how his Atlanta Braves got to the World Series and showing some love for former Jays general manager and current Braves GM Alex Anthopoulos. Our NFL teams are on opposite ends of the spectrum now, with the Seahawks a train wreck and his Cowboys on fire, but it was great discussing whether Dak Prescott is a top-five quarterback. I especially liked our talk, in which NFL head coaches are great, and trust me, while he without question has his faults, Mike McCarthy is a good coach, and he could lead the boys to the promised land. You can catch George Asios' work on the same website I write for, sportsbettingdime.com. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 74 of the H-Dog Pod. Mm-bay. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. bang Mmm-bang. 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 Mmm-bang.